morning. Everybody doing good? Thanks so much for choosing to worship with us. We want to invite the Foley and the Mobile campus to join us at this time. And uh, we're just excited that you're here and it's not raining, and that's a good thing. Yeah. I just want to look at you. You look really good. Yeah. Mobile, Foley, you guys look good as well. I can tell all the way through to fiber, so you're looking good. Hey, listen, uh, we have a group of uh, young people who are in our school here, our leadership school. They're in Honduras, and uh, in fact, they may be in watching this right now. I don't know, but those guys are over helping uh, our campus in Honduras finish up. We're moving into a new location. We're renovating, and then next Sunday... Uh, is to be their first Sunday there. So keep these guys in your prayers. They're going to be doing a lot of hard work, long hours, and getting things ready. And we'll keep you up to date on our kind of our grand opening over there uh, next weekend in San Pedro Sula. Well, if you have your Bible, you have your device, you want to turn to or click to Luke, the book of Luke. I'm just going to give you a break, not do two. I'm going to do one, the book of Luke. But I'm going to move around to several different chapters. I'm going to start in chapter 16. Uh, I'm going to finish this series this weekend, and I left this message to the end on purpose because we're going to talk about breaking the spirit of mammon. It's a word that's in the Bible four times. Jesus used it three times. Uh, It's repeated in Matthew and in Luke, but it's in the same sermon that Jesus is doing. So we're going to look at it in Luke, and we're going to see... Uh, the times that Jesus is going to use this word. I'll start in verse 9. He said, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. There's the first time. That when you fail, they, the friends, may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, second time, Who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now the next verse is is a repeat of Matthew 6, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There's the third time Jesus uses the word. In verse 13, this is the only phrase like this in the Bible Here's what Jesus is doing. He's using such a contrast with serving God that he is at, he's clearly saying no one, no service, no servant, no one. You, you cannot do this. No one can do this. You cannot serve God and mammon. So since he said that, I think we need to know what mammon is. In this message, I'm going to answer some questions that I think you may have as we end this series. Here's the first question, obviously. What is mammon? Most people say, well, it's money, but the answer is much deeper than that. It's an Aramaic word, which means riches, and it comes from the Assyrian god of riches. And I don't believe Jesus is simply referring to riches when he uses the word. He's referring to a false god that the people he's speaking to, the Jewish people, they knew about the false god. They knew about the concept of false god because they had received this. This is a concept of the god of wealth. They had received this from their neighbors, the Babylonians. Now, Babylon is a city, was a city, and is a city that's founded on pride and arrogance. You remember the Tower of Babel. And if you want to know what the word Babylon means, if you say it with a good southern draw, you can probably figure it out. 
Babylon. Just Babylon, Babylon. Ba- okay. <laughs> Must have the northerners in this service. Uh, Babel means confusion. Have you ever talked to someone and, and you're like, you're confu- you, you can't track with them, right? They're, you're just confused, okay? Like, they're confused. Babel means confusion. But when you add the suffix on to it, then it means sown or planted. So the word Babylon means sown in confusion. It started in confusion, the Tower of Babel. And that's a system that man believed we don't need God. We can do it on our own. We can get there on our energy, our intellect, our mindset. We can get high enough to get into heaven. In other words, we're self-sufficient. That's exactly what the spirit of mammon says. You don't need God if you have riches. If you've got the riches, you don't need God. And so trust in riches, trust in money. It's a spirit that is contrast itself it contrasts itself to the spirit of god it's arrogant it's prideful it's a spirit that tries to replace god it's such a contrast and jesus said you cannot serve god and mammon in other words mammon is looking for servants mammon is wants to rule your life mammon wants you to look at it instead of god and, and we, we grew up, many of us, looking to mammon, and we, we didn't really know this. We didn't understand how this operates. And Jesus said, you can't serve both. He says, you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. Jesus said, if you're loyal to mammon, you'll despise God. You don't need God. I'm self-sufficient. I got this. I mean, we are in the 21st century. We are in America. I mean, we, we, we've got this. Mammon wants to take God's place. Mammon goes so far as to actually promise everything that only God can give. Mammon will promise identity and security and significance and happiness and joy, all of these things that only God can give, but mammon will promise those things. But only God can give peace and joy and happiness. Mammon can never deliver on its promises. Mammon wants to rule, and you can't serve God and mammon. Now, let me show you where this spirit comes from because this spirit comes from before the Assyrians. This is a spirit that comes from the enemy, our enemy, Satan. This spirit, though, mammon, is a spirit of Antichrist. We know that there will be an Antichrist. We know that the spirit of Antichrist in most minds is the threat of nuclear war. The spirit of Antichrist rules through the threat of not being able to buy and sell. You, you can't buy food. You can't sell things to buy food for your family, Revelation 13. So Mammon is saying, if you don't bow to me, and, and if you fast forward when Christ returns and takes the, the, his people out and raptures the church out, then the Antichrist is set up, and, and, and then you, th- this is what's going to happen according to Revelation 13. If you don't bow to me, the spirit of Mammon says, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you won't be able to provide for your family. You can't buy food. You can't, you can't sell anything to buy food. You can't do anything. It's such a contrast. All through our lives, mammon is trying to get you to bow to it, to serve mammon. And Jesus is saying, no, God is the only one who can provide everything you need. God is the only one who can provide identity, security, significance, joy, peace. Only God can. But here's what mammon says to us. Mammon speaks to us and says, well, you know, if you had more money, 
people would look to you differently. You would have more significance. You, you would have more influence if you, if you had more money. If you had this or if you had that, if you had a, this house or, or a different car, if you had this, if you had more money, you'd be happier. If you had more money, your marriage would be happier. It will even go so far as to say if you had more money, you could help more people. This spirit, the spirit of mammon, is a world system spirit. It's in our world. It's a world system spirit. And it speaks to us and it talks to us. But understand this, money doesn't help people. God helps people. God helps people. But notice the contrast. Because Jesus, when he's on the face of this earth and he's praying for people and healing people and restoring people, never did he say, like to the leper or to the lame man who would have cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Never did Jesus look to that person and say, you just need more money. You, you need to invest in this and this and this. And you need to have, if you had more money, you wouldn't be in that condition. No, that, that's not what he said. So you, you have to understand, we have all been influenced by that spirit. And at some point, maybe you've even thought like this. Maybe you've even said this. Because crisis come, dilemmas come with finances especially. And we'll say things like, you know, I either need God to come through or I need somebody to give me some money. And if somebody gives me money, oh, I'm okay, God. I, I, my problem solved. I don't need you because I've got money. L- l- let me tell you what my dad taught me. My dad was a pastor. And basically, he, he taught me that, that money is not an answer to your problems. When I was eight years old, I, I decided I wanted to uh, cut some yards, make some money. So dad went to Sears and bought me a lawnmower, a push mower. I don't think we even had riding mowers back before the flood. But um, anyway, <laughs> it was a push mower. So I started cutting yards, you know, a buck and a half for a yard. And I thought, because I didn't really know a lot about a lawnmower, I thought I had messed this lawnmower up because it just locked up in the middle of the summer. It locked up. So I go to dad because I'm, you know, I'm cutting. I'm having to pay dad for the lawnmower. And once I get it paid off, it's, you know, all the money's mine then. So I, have, I go to him, and I, man, I've got a problem. Dad. I, I, you know, th- this is a problem. And, 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 and here, here's basically kind of what he said. He said, um, well, if money can fix it, then it's not a problem. If money can't fix it, God can. So he's telling me money is not the answer to your problems. God is always the answer to your problems. Now, last night I left that story hanging, and somebody came up to me and said, well, what happened, what happened? Well, my dad was smart enough to put a warranty on the lawnmower, and so Sears fixed it. So anyway, that that worked out. But what I learned is that money is not the answer to the problem. God is always the answer to the problem. So that spirit tries to influence us that money is the answer to problems. Here's the second question that may be in the back of your mind after coming through this series is, is money evil? I mean, Jesus just called it unrighteous mammon. What's he talking about? He's saying it's a spirit. Mammon is a spirit, and and, and listen, I I know it's a spirit because you you can hear it talking to you. You go ahead and start tithing and giving. You you see if something doesn't talk to you and say, are you crazy? You can't even pay your bills. You're going to give this? You're going to do what? It starts talking to you. 
You know, you, your neighbor gets a new car, you drive by the car lot, that spirit's talking to you. Hey, look at those new cars. You, 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 you need one of those. It talks to you. Mammon is a spirit, watch, that rests on money. All money has a spirit on it, either the spirit of God or the spirit of mammon. So all monies in your accounts right now either has God's spirit on it or the spirit of mammon. And what you've learned in this series is the way you get God's spirit on it is you give the first, the principle of the first, the first tenth to the house of God, then God redeems the rest, the 90. You've heard me say that several times. What does that mean, redeems? That means that he takes it out from under the spirit of this world, the spirit of mammon, and he puts his spirit on it. And with his spirit on it, the 90% will always do more than the 100 if you kept the whole 100 and it has the spirit of the world on it, the spirit of mammon. So why would you want the spirit of mammon on your money? And, and by, let, let me say this because some, some people get this kind of misconstrued. Money's not evil. Money's neutral. M- money can be used for bad. Money can be used for, for good. But, but pastor, doesn't the Bible say that the, the, the money's the root of evil? That, that, that's not what Paul said. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. Here, here, here's, what, here's what he's saying. Loving and serving mammon is the root of all evil. And Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. Paul's saying, loving and serving mammon is the root of all kinds of evil. So, so watch what Jesus said. We read it in verse 9 just a minute ago. Let me go back and reread it. Jesus said, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, notice the word fail, they, the friends, may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, if you just read that at its surface level, Scripture has three tiers to it. And that first tier is what I call black ink on white paper, okay? Then there's a rhema tier, and there's a prophetic tier. There's all these tiers that the Lord speaks to you and unveils things. If you just read that off the paper, you, just, you, you may think of unrighteous money, you know, you, you know, that it's just money. It, you wouldn't think, well, okay, there's a spirit on that. There's greed. No, you, and you may even think when he said make friends that, okay, well, he's saying I need to find friends that have money and let them be my friends and do them favors. So if I get in a bind, my friends with money can bail me out. I'm just saying if you read that from the surface, that may be what, what you think he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's saying take this unrighteous mammon money and redeem it by giving the first to the house of God and then use the money that Satan would use for evil. Now you can use it for good. You can use it for good for your house, for your home, for your covering, for your food, for your church, for your community, for, for, for sowing in. And when you give to, to build the kingdom of God, what you're doing is giving good money so people get saved, so people come to God. And they, those people who come to God, they become your friends. Old school, we called them brothers and sisters in Christ. You've been there? Any old people here? Yeah. Okay. So, but he's calling them your friends. But notice what he said. He said, when you fail, that's why this scripture goes to a different level. That word fail means die. In other words, when you die, what's he saying? That these people who have come to Christ because you've been giving and because you're faithful and you're bringing to the house of the Lord and the kingdom is enlarging, these people are going to welcome you into your eternal home. These people are now part of God's family list just like you are. And when you get to heaven, they're going to welcome you because you gave. 
You, you understand that 6,000 lives were touched in one day last week. That means we just tapped their shoulders with the love of God and mercy. And we're believing that, we, that seeds are sown and those, some of those people will come to know God. And we can't keep up with that and track that and know that as an entirety. But I'm telling you, God can. God knows everything. He records it. And I'm telling you, when you get to heaven, there will be people come up to you that you had no idea that you affected their lives simply because you were giving to the kingdom of God and their lives were changed because everybody's putting it in. And God is the only one who can take unrighteous mammon and turn it into true riches. Do you know what true riches are? People. People. That's what matters to God. People. God doesn't want anyone to perish, and he decided, listen, I'm going to send my son so that he, he, he can, can redeem mankind so we can be born again, but I'm going to use my church to reach people. I don't want any, I love everybody. I don't want anybody to die, but I'm going to use my church. And as my church gives of themselves, of their talents, their times, their treasure, as they start giving and they're doing, and, and they're raking a yard, they're doing this, what are they doing? They are depositing my love just because I love people, and there'll come an opportunity because you've influenced them, because you've served out of your heart. They're going to say, well, they're going to ask questions. They're going to have needs. They're going to come to you. They're going to turn to you, and you're going to lead people to the Lord, and there'll be people led to the Lord that you may not even meet, but you'll actually... They'll welcome you when you get to heaven. So God can actually take money and turn it into souls. Here's the third question that has to be in the back of your mind after hearing this series. Okay, what should I do with my money? What should I do with my money? Be a good steward. Be a good steward. But this is what people have said to me, and this is what some of you are thinking. But pastor, I, I, I have too little money to even be concerned with this message. I'm not even taking notes. I haven't taken any notes. I, I'm, just, I'm not even listening intently because I just don't have enough, and so this just can't help me. If that's your way of thinking, I have too little to be concerned with what Jesus taught that's right and get it, you'll never have any more. I've already read verse 10. I'm going to read it again. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So if you have a little and you don't tithe, you'll never have much. What God does is we all start out with a little. Everybody starts out with a little. And he's doing that because he wants to see if he can trust you with more. And if he can trust you with more, he gives you more, and he gives you more, he gives you more, until we get to a level where we can be a blessing to our family, to our children, to, 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 to everything that we need to raise our kids and send them to school, but also to our community, to our church, to build the kingdom of God. And if you're not faithful with a little, you'll never have much. Pastor, I want to tithe, but given my financial situation, it's a mess. It's shaky. You know, I, I'm, 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 what do I do with my money? Well, I'm glad you asked. So I'm going to give you three steps, okay? And I, th this is so simple. You're going to think, you, th this is too simple. We, we, we pay you. You should give us more. It should be deeper. But no, no, no. Th this is really, this is as simple as it gets because we complicated this. So what do you do with your money? Here's what you do. Step number one, commit your money to God and start giving something. Commit your money to God, start giving something. But pastor, I, I can't give anything. We're living in 110% of my income. You, you know what that means, don't you? That means you're going in the hole, <laughs> okay? I don't know how we get to it. We live on 110, 120. No, you're going in the hole, okay? So what did I say? First, commit your money to God. What does that mean? Take the mindset and the understanding you don't own it. If you believe the money is yours, 
you're not committing it to God. You have to realize you'll never be a tither if you're not going to commit it to God. Once you decide, you know what, none of this belongs to me, somehow you have a heart change when you realize that all of the things that I have and all the stuff that I, he's asked me to steward this, they all belong to him. He's asked me to manage and steward this. Once you decide that it, that, that, you know, that it, it belongs to him, something starts changing in your heart. But you have to commit your money. You have, to, you have to start giving something. Proverbs says it like this, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Commit to the Lord. And I, I had someone say, you know, just like I did, I, I grew up doing this, tithing and giving. And this person said, you know, it's just second nature. But people who, who this is new and understanding, it's like, man, th- this is hard. I can't do this. Are you kidding me? I, if I look at a number, I can't. No, you, you commit it to the Lord, and then you start doing something. And here's the second thing you do. You, you make a budget, and you follow it. Okay? And, and, and listen, if you're married, you need to invite a third person to live in your house. Yeah. His name is Mr. Budget. <laughs> he's a kindly guy, but he's strict. There's no gray area. Okay? His favorite word is no. <laughs> At least at my house, okay? <laughs> but you need him in your home. Here's why. Let's, let's just take this storyline, and I'm not going to pick husband or wife. I'm just going to say, you go to your spouse, guys, <clears throat> and you say, I want something, you know? I want something to fish with or to hunt with i i want something understand your needs are taken care of in your budget your wants are outside of your budget and your spouse being the loving compassionate understanding wife (laughs) she says oh yes i would love for you to have that let's set up a meeting with you and me and mr budget And let's sit down at the dinner table and let's look at his list. And let's see what Mr. Budget says. And so you do. And most of the times, Mr. Budget says no. But sometimes Mr. Budget will say, well, why don't you plan for it? Plan for it. Don't just take no. Mr. Budget is is, is a kindly man, but there's no gray area with Mr. Budget. Here's what a budget is. A budget is simply a plan for your spending. And if you want to get out of debt and live below your means, you're going to have to establish a plan and stick to it. And Proverbs says God will honor that if you do it. We we started last week. We have equipped classes, and they vary from different types and and subjects. But we started one last week called Financial Wellness. It's four weeks. It's full. You have to wait until the next one. You can't get in this one, and you need to be in the first one. And listen, it's being taught by people, lay people in our church. And if you struggle with the budget and live by a budget and all of that kind of stuff, there are people who have done this, and they, they're going to help you. And these people are successful people in helping and planning and all that, and they're there. I want you to go through this class the next time it comes up. But until then, go ahead and get the idea in your mind, I need to invite Mr. Budget to come live in your house. You need Mr. Budget. Now, let me, let me tell you the third step if you're struggling financially because th- this is the one that uh, it, it, I, I want to give you this third one because it will absolutely guarantee to make you wealthy. I get the same look out of everybody when I say this. I mean, how many of you would like to be wealthy? Okay, about a third of you. 
man, we really got a problem here. Do you know that Jesus doesn't care how much money you make as long as you're a steward? That got real quiet. Okay, let me go back to this. The next step, I want to guarantee, if you will follow what I'm going to share in step three, and it's free of charge, if you'll follow this, this will make you wealthy. You ready for this? Step three, spend less than you make for a really long time. I told you it was deep. (laughs) You want money at the end of your life. You want resources for your kids, for college. You want money for your grandkids. You want to help build the kingdom of God? Spend less than you make for a really long time. And watch what the Bible says in Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent. Let me tell you what the diligent, let me tell you what that word means. It means that I get up one day and I do the right thing. And then I get up the next day and I do the right thing. And I get up the next day and I do the right thing. And I do the right thing for a very long time. So watch. He said, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as the hate, the, the, the haste, the get rich quick schemes. You know, uh, it's too good to be true kind of scheme. I want it right now thing. Let, let, let me borrow more right now than I'm supposed to be borrowing. Let, let me do this. Leads to poverty. So here's what I'm saying. You're struggling with your finances. Commit your money to God. Start giving something. Make a budget. Follow it. And spend less than you make for a long time. That's not complicated. It's very simple. And guess what will happen? Your stress will go down. Tension will go down in your marriage. Your debt will go down. You'll start enjoying the things that you have instead of being enslaved by the spirit of mammon because the spirit of mammon makes you discontent with things that you have. The spirit of God gives you contentment with what you have. Everything about your life changes when you follow what I've just told you. Because here, here's why. Because this is your part of walking in the blessed life. And I don't know how many of you are in this place. And I don't want you to indicate it by, by lifting your hand or saying anything. But if you're in a place of financial pain, would you like to go from a place of financial pain to a place of peace? I hope you would. Understand every kingdom has a king, and every king sets the rules for the kingdom. It's not voted on. It's not decided by the senators and the congressmen. It's not decided. It's decided by the king. And what I have given you in this series, I've given you the kingdom principles that Jesus came to the earth to show us a kingdom perspective. In other words, if you're in a place of financial pain, I've come to give you hope. You don't have to stay there because here's my goal. My goal in this series, The Blessed Life, is to move you out of pain into a place of peace so that you can go from a place to peace to a place of purpose. And here's the beauty. You can get the purpose and never lose the peace. The peace goes with you to purpose. But if you're in pain, you're not even thinking about peace. You've got to get to peace. And once you get to that place of peace... And I know in the natural, tithing, 10%, tithing, giving to God makes no sense because that's what this world's spirit has told us. That makes no sense because if when I get something, I should get something. It doesn't make sense to give in faith, to give from a kingdom perspective. But when you understand the king's perspective, it starts to make sense. Do you know that Jesus recognizes tithe? That tithing, he, he recognizes that it's right to tithe. Matthew 11, 40, uh, Luke eleven forty two, the last half of that, part B, Jesus said, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, justice, love, and grace. 
What's he saying? You should tithe, but don't make that the big deal and don't, don't, you know, don't go around clashing symbols and everybody look at me, I'm giving this and make it the big thing. You tithe and you give, but you make sure that it's about justice and love and mercy and grace and you're helping people and serving people. You make it about that, but you give. Jesus recognizes tithing. Do you know he recognizes offerings? I'm going to give you a loose translation, Luke 21 and 1. While Jesus was in the commons of Bay Community Church, he watched people dropping their gifts in the offering box. Yeah, they're all through every camp that he's watching. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. And I tell you the truth, Jesus said, the poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. You see, here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of it. What I give, he takes that spirit of mammon off. Now my 90%, I've taught you this a few weeks ago, God can make it supernaturally blessed and supernaturally increased so when i give a when i give an offering out of that he blesses that and it it doesn't even make any sense in the world system because god's got his hand on it and do you know something else jesus recognizes it's called alms alms are different than offerings and tithe alms are the same thing as charitable charitable deeds it's like servolution it's like serve day it's like those kind of things jesus even recognizes that and, and here's what you need to understand. You're thinking, well, I did all this stuff out raking yards, doing this, helping those people, going to the nursing home, going to the prison, and nobody knows. Nobody puts my name on the screen, my face, and all that. Listen to this, Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions, give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Whatever you tre- wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will be also. In other words, when you're doing all this, God's the ultimate record keeper, and you're storing up the treasure in heaven because you're doing alms. You're, you're, you're doing charitable things. You're doing all of these things, and God's seeing it, and he's keeping up with it. So here's what we've learned. Tithe is returning to God's what's his, the ten, bringing it to the storehouse. Offerings stretch us because, I, mean, I just give the ten, that's, well, that's his. Now I want to give some of mine, the ninety. It stretches us, but it gets his attention, and when it gets his attention, he puts his supernatural blessing on what we've given out of that natural 90%. And then he sees our arms, alms, and he keeps up with, and we're, we're storing up treasures in heaven. So if you're, here's what I'm saying. If you're not stewarding, I cannot promise you, if you're in financial pain, if you're not stewarding, I cannot promise you the Calvary's gonna ride over the hill and help you out. If you're not stewarding, I cannot promise the government's going to help you out. I cannot promise that an organization's going to help you out. I cannot promise that you're going to win the lotto and this and that and the other and all this kind of stuff. No, it, it does not work that way. He said whoever stewards gets more. Why? Because Jesus is not going to keep giving to those who don't steward. He gives to those who do steward. How many of you are in a place of pain? Understand, he's given you a lot. Most of the world would give their right arm to trade what you have here. God's perspective from heaven is, listen, steward what you have because until you do, I can't give you more. I raised up this nation for a season. I raised up this nation for a purpose and it has been fulfilling my purpose for over 200 years. I blessed it, I blessed it, I blessed it. But until the church understands that we're to steward what he's given us, God is saying, I can't continue to bless it to reach the end time harvest. But if you'll be a steward of that, I'm gonna open the windows of heaven and I'm gonna bless everything you put your hands to because i know you're a steward and you'll do the right thing i thought that was pretty good (laughs) 
Why do I want a steward? True riches are people. Look around. And, and, and listen. Listen to me. You're a spirit. You possess a soul. You live in a body. Your spirit is going to live some, one of two places forever. Your, your body, you're going to get a new one. Somebody should say, thank the Lord for that. <laughs> in fact, if it'll burn up, it ain't going anywhere. What's God concerned with? He's concerned with the souls of He doesn't want anyone to perish. But he designed it that if the church, if the church will steward, if people will steward, then, then if you'll think like this, that when I'm giving, what I'm doing is heaven is being populated and hell is being plundered because of my giving. I have to think like that because I see it as a spiritual act. It's a time of intimacy. It's between me and God. That's why we don't pass a plate because to me that's intimidation and that's, that's motivation that I'm trying to get you to. No, I want it to be pure out of your heart that you give in an offering box, you give online, whatever. It's between you and God. But let me tell you something. It's a spiritual act. And when I do it, it's not about looking at a building. It's not about looking at land. It's about looking at souls because the, tool, the money is a tool, the building is a tool, the land's a tool. All of this stuff is just tools to do what? To reach God's people. And when I give, I see it as a spiritual act and god is the only one who can take that unrighteous mammon and flip it over and use it to win people to jesus christ and the reason this is such a battle is because satan knows god can do that and and understand this is satan's spirit the spirit of mammon came from him and he doesn't want you to give and he wants you to entertain his spirit of greed and selfishness he wants that to talk to you so you you have to realize when i'm doing this when i'm giving i'm helping get people out of hell so i've got to renew my mind i've got i've I've got to be I've, i've got to be a steward i've got to be obedient let me say this and then i have a word for our church I've not presented seven messages in this series for a get-rich scheme. The contrary, I presented this as a lay-down-your-life challenge to live out the blessed life because it breaks my heart when God's people aren't living the blessed life. And here's what I want to say to the church. Some of you will know this is for you. Some of you won't. It won't mean anything to you, and that's okay. This is a word from God. God gave it to me last night in worship. I stuttered through it in that service, but God's helped me to speak it a little clearer. For those of you that are stewards, God says to remind you that he is sending the latter and the former rain together, and he's sending it to those who are stewards and the abundance that's coming into your house, the abundance that's coming into your business, the abundance that's coming into what you put your hands to is more than you've ever dreamed or thought about. But he says, the reason that I'm doing this is because you have been a good steward And I am going to open my windows and put my hand out and I am going to release it because I want to see my kingdom built and I know that you will build my kingdom.
and understand. Those of you, who, you, you, you understand all of this. I've had people excited. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. There's not a day goes by that God's not doing something. And I turn around yesterday and the day before, and it's like, wow, how did that, where did that, how is this going on? What's going on? God is gearing up. And he's taking the, a church, he'll take any church that preaches the gospel and any church that loves people. And when the people of that church become stewards with what he's entrusted he is going to bless them so that their home their children their finances their health everything is blessed but he knows that you're being blessed to be a blessing and he doesn't have a problem with that in fact that's the way he designed that that's how the world's going to be changed that's how the wealth that's going to return to the right. That's how it's going to happen. Because people who are stewards, God says, this is the season. This is the time. I'm I'm going to do it. You're going to see a year of abundance that you've never seen before. And I say, amen and amen and amen and come on, Jesus. It's okay to get excited about that, isn't it? Father, thank you for your word, your blessings, and I pray people receive, operate in stewardship. I pray, Lord, you change our hearts to understand this is the king's process, and it will enlarge his kingdom if we follow it. In Christ's name, amen.